uh, continuing on in our series through the book of Luke, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Uh, Luke 6, 1 to 11. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would speak to us today, Lord, amidst all the things running through our minds, all the distractions, all the fears, all the hurts. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak in this service to build us up in Christ Jesus, to teach us and to mold us so that we would look more like him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Well, did anybody know that if you're in Provo, it is illegal to throw a snowball if you're doing it to annoy someone? So the next time you want to throw a snowball at your sibling, do it outside Provo lest they decide to annoy you with a police report. Uh, Or in Logan up north, it is illegal to throw a rock to, quote, annoy any traveler or pedestrian. Now, that makes a bit of sense, but then the law goes on to say, but if you have the car owner's permission, then it's okay to throw a rock at it. So before you pelt a rock at a passing car, which probably every boy did when he was a kid, just make sure you ask them before you do it, and then you'll be okay. Uh, And then the law that I personally disagree with most is that in Utah, it is illegal to ride a bicycle with no hands. I mean, where's the fun in that? Now, every one of us, I'm sure we've heard of various silly rules uh, that are enacted by the state or the federal government. And, and usually there's some story of how that rule came into place. And it makes it make a little bit more sense. But you still kind of wonder, why in the world did that actually become law? And I think we can sometimes have that same reaction when it comes to some of Scripture's laws, and specifically even when it comes to some of the laws and the practices around the Sabbath. Of all the Ten Commandments, this is the one 
that people are most likely to think doesn't apply to them today, or they don't see why it would still apply. It's also one that sometimes Christians can take to certain extremes. It's one that can often feel like a rule that is there to keep you from knowing the joy of riding your bike with no hands. And so passages like today sometimes feel like a breath of fresh air, because on one hand it seems like, oh wait, Jesus doesn't seem to take the Sabbath as seriously as everybody else seems like Jesus doesn't get wrapped up in ridiculous rules, and yet there's some truth in that. But what we're going to see is something deeper. We're working our way through the book of Luke in a series that's called The King Has Come, because one of the things in this book is that Luke shows that Jesus is the king of all creation, and he has come into his kingdom. And as king, he gets to set the rules. He gets to interpret the rules. He is Lord of the Sabbath. And this is what I want you to remember this morning. God is a loving Father who wants our good. God is a loving Father who wants our good. And we're going to look at it just under two points. One, the Lord of the Sabbath, and then second, the joy of the Sabbath. So first, the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, when it comes to understanding the Sabbath, which, as many of you probably know, for Jews was on uh, Saturday, but for many uh, Christians, we celebrate it on Sunday, there are often two different extremes. Uh, Some people make all kinds of rules of what you can or can't do, and it it can look like they're sucking the fun out of Sunday fun day. And then there are those, and this is probably the majority of Christians in America at least, where just they see Sunday as a second Saturday, where you'll try to go to church as long as you don't have any other competing commitments that are going on. And what I want us to see is Jesus rejects both extremes and shows us something better, something deeper about God, that God's laws are actually for your good. They aren't these rules that are keeping you from your best life or from enjoying your weekend, but are actually designed to help you experience the best that God has for you. But often, I think just it's, it's twisted in our hearts, and then particularly, depending if you grew up in a, a family where maybe you didn't have a loving father, you can think and you can see that God, or you can believe God is more like a grumpy old man who's just waiting to tell you all the ways that you messed up and didn't live up to his standards. But see here, Luke is placing two stories about the Sabbath side by side, not just to show us something about the Sabbath, but to show us something about God. So first, the Sabbath isn't just about a bunch of rules. Jesus and his disciples are walking. It's been a long day, and they're starting to get hungry. And so they take some grain from a grain field along the the road, and they rub those kernels of grain between their fingers to get the husks off, and then they chew on them. As probably many of you know, we just returned from a two-week vacation out in Oregon. And one of the wonderful things about going to a place that gets more rain than here is all the plants. And particularly, we enjoyed all of the berries, particularly as we got closer to the coast. Uh, on, on one day, as we were driving to our next campsite, we stopped for this in this picnic area along the Rogue River. And after lunch, we went down to the river, and all along the river were just hundreds and hundreds of blackberry bushes. And they were just starting to come in and become ripe. And it is such a delight when you find, you know, berries or food out in the wild that you can eat. We picked a whole container full, and I had blackberries every morning for breakfast for the rest of the trip. Uh, At our campground at the Oregon coast, we saw what originally looked like raspberries, and then after tasting them, we realized uh, they were thimbleberries. 
And, and then a friendly neighbor camping near us showed us some more berries, uh, some called salal, which tasted like blueberries. And, and, and it's so kind of rare for us today to get our food from just foraging. And yet we got to remember back in the day of Jesus, that is often, that was the original drive-through. You didn't have a McDonald's or, or a cooler to take your, pack your sandwiches in. You foraged for food along your way. And fortunately, a lot more people uh, had family farms, right? A lot more people were involved in farming. And so as you would go, you might pick some crops or some grain from a field along your travels. God even addresses this in Deuteronomy. He says, if you enter a neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but don't put a sickle to their standing grain. Right? He's saying it's good to share the food. It is for people to enjoy. The problem here, though, is that the disciples are doing this on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees take notice of that. Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? As we've worked through Luke, we, we see these escalating conflicts between Jesus and the Pharisees. My dad did a good job explaining who the Pharisees were two weeks ago. Uh, but just one thing that is helpful, one commentator summarized their views this way, that the Pharisees believed that people must live according to the law of God and must be free from all outside or foreign influence. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to establish a new Jewish government that was free from Roman and Greek influence and was only based on God's law. And they believed there was a coming Messiah who would deliver them from these pagan oppressors, the Romans and others, and allow them to establish a new theocratic or government that followed only God's law. In one sense, they took Scripture incredibly seriously. They wanted to base everything on that. Uh, some people believe the Pharisees, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that for the priests, there were a bunch of extra kind of rules for them to keep themselves even more ceremonially clean. And what the Pharisees may have done is take all those rules for the priests and say, actually, because we want to be as clean as we can, we're going to follow all those. We're going to go the extra mile when it comes to pleasing God. And so here the Pharisees see these disciples picking grain and alarm bells go off in their head. Scripture says they think while harvesting grain on the Sabbath is forbidden and while picking some kernels, rubbing them in your hands, is harvesting grain, just on a very small scale. But Jesus responds, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and, taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful for only the priests to eat, and he gave some to his companions. So Jesus responds to their accusation by pulling this story from way back in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel 21, David is fleeing from Saul, the current king, and he and his men regroup in another town where the tabernacle was set up. And they're hungry. They've been traveling all day, and so David asks for some food, and the priest looks around and says, sorry, we don't have any food. The only food that we have is this bread that has been used in the temple. Maybe in some ways it would be like the communion bread that we have but even more sacred. And Leviticus 24, verse 8, says about this bread, that it is to be set out before the Lord regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath, on behalf of the Israelites. It belongs to Aaron and his sons, who are to eat it in the sanctuary. So here's this provision that God has set up about this bread, and here are these hungry men. And the priest and David, what are they going to do? 
follow this rule strictly, or can the priest make what seems like an exception for these people that are very hungry right in front of him? And he decides to give them the bread. And Jesus says, this story from David is an important principle for understanding how we are to apply God's law. And then he goes on to say that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying, guess what? Because of who I am, I am the authority of what it means to follow the Sabbath. I get to set the rules. I get to apply them. And what's the principle he's showing here? One commentator puts it this way. Jesus shows that ceremonial provision must not stand in the way of providing the essential needs of life. The spirit of Sabbath observance must not lead to an unnecessary burden being imposed on those who keep it. So in other words, God's laws aren't set up to be all these boundaries to keep you hungry. I'm starving, but God says no work on the Sabbath, so I can't go out and get some food. But the goal of God's law is human good. And that we should interpret God's law even with an eye towards what is good, at least in God's eyes. But there's something in us that when it comes to the rules or the provisions that God has set up, that sees God's law not so much as something for our good and a, 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 uh, directions for our best life, but more something like a performance ladder. That the more rungs you can climb up it, the more God is going to like you or the more God is going to reward you. So we can think of it with applying it for the Sabbath, right? The, the first rung of, of that ladder of righteousness is, well, I'm not going to plow my fields on Sunday. But then if you want to be even more serious and have God like you anymore, you say, I'm not even going to you know, work on my farm equipment that's kind of, the wheel is kind of wobbly and I need it working before the next day, but I won't work on it on the Sabbath. And then the third rung to show you're even more dedicated to God is, I am not even going to pick any grain on the Sabbath because we need some for Sunday dinner. We'll just skip it. Or we'll just pick the minimum amount of grain. And then if you want to show you're really dedicated to God, it would be something like, you know what? We're not going to pick any food to eat on Sunday, and we're just going to go hungry because we didn't plan ahead. And you think that the higher I can kind of climb up this ladder, the more God's going to like me, the more God's going to reward me, the more God, more likely God is going to be to answer my prayers. And our human hearts are set up, so then you start to take pride even in that suffering you impose on yourself. I've gone so hungry on the Sabbath. Look how seriously I take God's law. You might not make a show of it to others. Oh, look, I'm not eating all day. Sorry, I'm not doing any work. Not even the smallest thing. You probably would make a show of it in your head at least. Oh, if everyone else would just take God's rules as seriously as I did. I mean, I think I'm probably in the top 10% of that ladder of righteousness. I think we all kind of tend that way to one degree or another even if we reject it. And then here comes Jesus, this religious teacher who has a special connection to God, and he doesn't seem to care about the ladder. He's not participating in their system. He throws out the ladder. He knocks it down. He tells his disciples, don't worry about climbing that ladder. And here Jesus is undermining their entire religious system. 
And just like when you undermine a system that's created a lot of wealth for someone, whether it's financial wealth or a wealth of self-righteousness, those who spend their entire lives in that system to get the rewards of it will get the most upset. And Jesus here is showing, though, if that's what you think God's law is, a way for you to work your way up to God, a way for you to have it more likely that God's going to do what you want him to do, you've missed the whole point of it. God's law isn't there for you to compete with others and compare yourself to others for how righteous you can be, how, how, how self-disciplined you can be, and how much you can deny yourself in these things. But his laws are there for your good, to help you learn to become fully human, molded in the way that he has created you. And this brings us to the second point, the joy of the Sabbath. Here it's another Sabbath day, and Jesus is at the synagogue. And I've, I've noted before how important it was for Jesus to go to worship each week. And the Pharisees are there too, and they're looking for a way to trap Jesus. And they think maybe they found a way. They, they know that Jesus loves to heal people. So will he heal someone on the Sabbath? And that would be work, they thought. And it's worth noting that at this time, Sabbath observance and the rules around it was a very important feature of Judaism. It was one of the ways that made them distinct from surrounding cultures. There were all kinds of laws around it. And there happened to be a man at this worship service with a shriveled hand. I wonder if even maybe he'd been invited there by some of the Pharisees as a trap, as bait. This will get Jesus. But again, we see Jesus is Lord of everything. He can't be trapped. He invites this man up to center stage where everyone can see him and asks the congregation this question, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do, good or evil, to save life or destroy it? And then Jesus stops. And there's this pause. He's probably making eye contact with those very people he knows are most bothered by this. And, and you've got to wonder in that moment if, if the Pharisees start to get worried. They think, oh, shoot, we thought we had Jesus. Is he going to flip the tables on us again? And with every eye locked on Jesus, he turns to this man and he says, stretch out your hand. And his hand was completely restored. And what is Jesus teaching us about the Sabbath? Well, first off, it's not that it's just another day where you can just do all your normal things. No, we see Jesus had that priority of going to worship. That's where this takes place, in a worship service. And, and even though that church was filled with a bunch of hypocrites, Jesus still goes to it. But we see that the, that the Sabbath is a day to promote life. Is it lawful? To save life or destroy it? Now, here's the interesting thing, though. Does this man face a life-threatening injury? The story would be a lot different if, you know, it was this man who accidentally got, you know, run over by a donkey on his way to church, and right outside the front of the church, he's bleeding out, and, and people are, oh, is it okay to save him or not? Well, I think probably everybody would say, no, you've got to stop the bleeding. You've got to 
fix him right now or else he's going to die. But this man wouldn't die that day. He lived with this injury or this uh, infirmity for a while. He would certainly continue to live for a while with it. Didn't need to be treated. And so what Jesus means by life is more than just stopping the bleeding. It means something much greater than that. And I would imagine that next day when this man gets up and he gets dressed in 30 seconds, instead of the four or maybe 10 minutes it used to take him, he's going to say, I've got my life back. And I would imagine for any of you in the church with disabilities, ongoing medical issues, things that aren't going to kill you today, but they leave an inexorable burden on your life. And to be free from those, you would say, I've got my life back. And that's the life that Jesus is talking about. He's saying the Sabbath is a day where we should try to promote that fullness of life, the goodness of true life. And there will be some people that can't have it, don't have the power to have it. They have disabilities. They have other things in their life. They have things that are keeping them from having that full life. And Jesus shows that that is a work he loves to do. That's what the Sabbath is about, to give people their life back. And notice that Luke just then includes the Pharisees' reaction. They were furious and begin to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Here are these people that on one hand look so devoted to God, and yet they couldn't even be happy when they see a man get his life back because it didn't go according to their rules and their ideas of how God should work. You know, when you're working your way up this ladder of righteousness, you hate when God blesses those who aren't trying as hard as you. You're furious when Jesus shows his grace to those that you don't think deserve it. Now, before you start thinking of the other people, like, man, yeah, that is what this person needs to hear, I want you to see every single one of you and me struggle with this in one way or another. And there are some of us who struggle with more like the Pharisees. Now, you might say, oh, I know I'm saved by grace, But deep down in your heart, you only believe that God will really like you based on how high up that ladder you're climbing. And you refuse to believe in a God who truly loves you, even when you were in the middle of your sin. You think that I've got to contribute something. And in your heart, you subtly, or not so subtly, look down at all those who aren't taking their faith as seriously as you. But then on the flip side, there, there's some of you who struggle more with just not wanting to take God's law seriously. Well, God loves me, so I don't need to worry about what I do on the Sabbath or other days. I'm saved by grace, thankfully. And in your heart, it is so easy to look down at those people who seem to be Pharisees or legalists. Oh, they don't understand grace. They don't understand the gospel. If they were more mature Christians, they wouldn't be as uptight and they'd be more like me. But what you, what you see is both people, and that's all of us. In the end, we have these attitudes. We struggle with them. And at the root of both of them 
is that you don't believe that God is a loving Father who wants your good. Instead, you see him like a, a grumpy dad or an out-of-touch lawmaker who says, you can't ride your bike without hands. Yep, I knew God was a spoil sport. I knew he won't let me do what I want, but, you know, he's in charge. He's got the power. So if I want to get what I really want, God's favor, financial success, kids that know the Lord, I'll put up with all these rules. I'll be the best at them because apparently that's what God cares about. But you aren't loving God. You're using God to get what you really love. And you see that God is kind of like this demanding but idiosyncratic boss who is a pain to work with, but if you get on his good side, he will propel your career. Or you take the other side. I'm so glad that Jesus has fulfilled the law, so now it's all grace, because all those rules that God has laid out, that is a real drain on me having fun in life. And if I want to have fun, I can't take God's laws too seriously. You see God kind of like this grumpy, out-of-touch grandfather who happened to be wealthy, but he's already given you the inheritance, so you don't need to pay attention to all of his silly rules. But don't you see what is common in both these attitudes? You see God as someone who maybe tolerates you, but you don't believe he really loves you. You don't believe that what he wants for you is actually your good. And Jesus shows us something different here. Jesus, as Lord of the Sabbath, shows us a God who says, I want this man with his shriveled hand to have his life back. I want people to have a full life. Do you believe in that kind of God? A God who loves you and has demonstrated his love for you by giving up his life for you while you were still stuck in sin. A God who loved you when you had nothing to offer him and were in fact racing off in the wrong direction. A God who loved you when you loved your ladder of self-righteousness, even though he sees it and says that's going nowhere. And he knocks it down in your life, not to make you furious like with the Pharisees, but to show that you've got him all wrong. His grace is so much bigger than you imagined. His love is so much deeper than you can fathom. And so what does that mean for us on the Sabbath, which for Christians is Sunday? Fed a you know, full service, so I'll, I'll be brief with this, but a couple things to think about, and I'm sure any pastors or elders would love to talk to you more. See, the, the Sabbath isn't something God has given you to keep you from enjoying a full weekend, but something that he's given you for your good. That seeking to honor God on the Sabbath will actually be good for you. And imagine if you could just change how you think of God's commands to stop seeing them as something that is keeping you from having fun or something you need to do to earn his favor, or something that is preventing you from what you really want, but to see them as actually blueprints for your best life. He's the one that made you. He knows how you tick. He knows what you can be. He knows your potential, and he knows what you need. 
And often we're like little two-year-old kids who think we know better. No, I want more candy right now. So this means that we should prioritize, like Jesus did, with worshiping with others on the Sabbath. We should be willing to change schedules, turn down other things, so that we can gather with God's people to worship. And why is that? There's a bunch of reasons, but here's a practical one. You know, in your car, every year or so, you need to get your steering aligned. Because you hit some curbs, you, you know, go on some rocky roads, whatever it is, it starts to get off canter. And God knows that we need to get our hearts aligned every seven days. Because Monday through Saturday, there are all kinds of curbs and rocks that keep knocking your heart out of alignment. It needs to be set right. And second, we should promote the good life on Sundays. You need rest. We aren't made to work seven days a week. It's good to do something that is fun. It's, enjoy, it's good to enjoy a good meal and the best food. It's good to spend extra time with your family. I encourage every one of you to do something on Sundays that make it look different than the rest of the week. Something that is life-giving. Something that reminds you of where God is taking you and what your best life truly is. And that takes a little foresight. I encourage you to plan out your week so that work commitments, school assignments, chores, other responsibilities are, are things that you try to get done on your other days so that Sunday can truly be a day that promotes life and joy and fun and fellowship. Along with this, Sunday is a good day to bless others, to serve others, to help others experience what that good life is. You might not be able to heal a person's hand, but there are people in our congregation, people in the community, that you could do something for that lifts their spirits and will give them a taste of that resurrection day when they will have life to the fullest. And in all of this, it's not a burden. And sometimes you need to make adjustments. And when things don't go according to your plan, you don't think, oh, we screwed this up, God must be so mad at us. When the disciples were hungry, it was fine for them to go get food and not starve till the Sabbath was over, which back then was at sundown, right? It's not like they would have to wait all night to eat. But beware of making too many adjustments that before you know it, it's just another day of the week. Or the last day to get all your chores done before you go back to work on Monday. See, friends, what if God's commands weren't there just to keep you from your best life, but actually was a guide to your best life? Will you trust him enough to try that? Maybe it's not the Sabbath, maybe it's something else. Where is it that you think, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but man, it feels so good, I like it. And you're afraid to give it up because you like it. But what if there's something that God has that is so much better for you in living in harmony with him? And do you believe that God's law is actually for your good? And when you believe that, this is how you know you really believe it, because you stop comparing yourself to others and seeing how far up the ladder they are, right? Oh, man, they're so much further, I'm horrible, or I'm so much better than all of them. And instead, you find joy in living in harmony with God. And life in harmony with God is the truly beautiful life. Now, let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would help us 
Because, Father, every one of us, including myself, we are afraid to trust you with your law and your commands. Because all we think of is all the things we'll lose. But help us to see all that we will gain in living with you. And that it won't be junk food, but it will be the best food. And it will nourish us, our souls, and our bodies in ways we never imagined. So we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.